Hello and welcome. This is the Book of Acts by Word Online. Well, I hope you've been listening to the earlier episodes because this is a continuing story. This particular episode doesn't stand on its own. It's part of an amazingly complex situation that happened to Paul when he went to Jerusalem uh, in uh, his final phase of work in the Eastern Mediterranean before he went to Rome. We know that his goal is to get to Rome and he was determined to go to Jerusalem for a number of reasons that we're going to look at in this episode. And if you followed the previous episodes, you'll realize that as soon as he got to Jerusalem, he got himself into really big trouble because of conflict with the Jewish religious leaders in the city who had taken great exception to Paul because they considered that he had betrayed the Jewish religion by proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah and Jesus's resurrection from the dead and encouraging Jews to join the new Christian movement, which is described in this episode as the way. It's just one, um, uh, one aspect of, of the description of Christianity in the book of Acts. So in the last episode, the commander of the uh, Roman military garrison in Jerusalem who had taken Paul into custody as a result of all these controversies decided to send him away from Jerusalem to the Roman capital of the province of Judea, the city of Caesarea by the sea. And this is where the governor lived and worked and ruled the whole province. And the governor at this time was called Governor Felix. He is a successor of Pontius Pilate, who was also the governor or procurator of, the, uh, of this province and who made the decision to execute Jesus Christ. So Governor Felix now has Paul in his custody and we learnt in the last episode that there'd been an attempted assassination on Paul uh, planned in Jerusalem, which the Roman authorities wanted to avoid by taking him away from the city and away from the controversy. And so we find that the commander has written the governor a letter, explained the situation, and in the last episode we found that Paul was being kept under guard in Caesarea, awaiting the arrival of the Jewish accusers who were going to follow up and travel to Caesarea to make their case against Paul. So this really is in the middle of a story, this episode. And if you haven't listened to the earlier episodes, it would be really helpful to do that in order to understand this story. As far as we can tell, Luke, the author of Acts, is an eyewitness to all these events. He certainly traveled with Paul to Jerusalem and he was certainly with him in the events in Jerusalem in the recent episodes and he was probably here traveling to Caesarea and seeing the things that happened to Paul at that time. There was an enormous um, military uh, guard that was given to Paul to guarantee his journey to Caesarea. But now he's arrived, he's under guard, and the question is, what's going to happen next? Will the Jews come up from Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders? Yes, they will. They're determined to pursue Paul. And this is what we discover in this particular episode. So we're going to read verses 1 to 9 of Acts 24. 
Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. And they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We've enjoyed a long period of peace under you and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots amongst the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The other Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. This was a high-powered delegation. The high priest himself came up to Caesarea. He didn't often travel there. The Jews didn't like going to the city of Caesarea. It represented Roman rule. It wasn't a place that the high priest would visit very often. But this was such a big issue that he himself came with elders and a specialist lawyer in order to try and convince the governor Felix to have Paul punished. And his words to the governor are based on politeness, saying what a wonderful governor he'd been in the country. But this wasn't the case. History doesn't tell this story. There was tension between the Jews and the Romans. But in this circumstance, the high priest was being respectful, honouring the governor, seeking to win his favour because he really wanted him to act decisively against Paul. This is a common human strategy in the law courts, as many of you will be aware. And so the lawyer Tertullus and the others presented the case against Paul. What are they saying against Paul? These are very generalised accusations. He's a troublemaker. He causes riots amongst the Jews all over the world, meaning all over the Roman Empire. They're referring to the fact that Paul has travelled to many parts of the Roman Empire in the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And he's gone to many Jewish communities in different cities. He's spoken in many synagogues. And the result of him speaking has always been a division amongst the Jews, which we have seen in many episodes up until this point. But these are rather general accusations. And then there's a specific accusation that he tried to desecrate the temple to damage the temple, to do something against the temple when he went up to the temple in uh, a few days earlier. And we saw that incident described by Luke as an eyewitness just a little while ago in an earlier episode. And then the other Jews joined in and they made all sorts of accusations. So Felix is listening to this great uh, volume of criticism that's coming from the Jewish leaders. 
But you'll probably notice one interesting thing about this speech. There's no other eyewitnesses being called. These are general accusations that are not being substantiated by evidence. And it is in the nature of a legal court situation that evidence is important. And we all know in different countries of the world what happens when your law courts are corrupted and evidence is not what determines the outcome, but some political or personal motivation, some act of corruption. We see this all over the world. And here they wanted to persuade Felix to do something against Paul simply because he was seen as a troublemaker, simply because he would be a problem for the Romans, because he would cause dissension and conflict and that would turn against the Romans. That was the case that they brought against Paul. But Paul had an opportunity to defend himself and he did so vigorously. We know that Paul could debate vigorously, could speak very articulately. He could use evidence and he could challenge what other people said. He, he spent a lot of time doing this in debating with the Jews concerning the interpretation of the Old Testament. In some cities he spent whole days talking to the Jews in detail and debating things. But here the governor gives Paul the opportunity to speak and we'll read verses 10 to 21. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you've been a judge over this nation. So I gladly make my defence. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone in the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that is in accordance with the law and is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonially clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. Or, or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence, it's concerning the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you today. We see Paul's well 
reasoned defense. He's articulate, he's clear, he's confident. And he contradicts the claim that he came to Jerusalem to cause trouble. He made every effort when he came to Jerusalem to be peaceful, to be humble, to be private, to speak to the church, to be respectful of the Jews. And we see that in the story that's told in earlier episodes. He didn't have a crowd of people with him when he was in the temple. He came with just a few friends to fulfill a religious ceremony. Paul's argument is that there's no real evidence here. And he points out that the initial people who caused the trouble, some Jewish people from the province of Asia who saw him in the temple, they'd seen him in other places, those people are not present to bring any accusation. They've just disappeared. They just stirred up trouble against him because they didn't like him. And so he points out that he hasn't broken any religious law. He hasn't caused any rioting or conflict or violence. He hasn't come with a group of people in the temple to cause difficulty. He hasn't come to stir up difficulty in Jerusalem. He points out that his reason for coming to Jerusalem was entirely different. And he says in verse 17 exactly what it was. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor and to present offerings. He's already explained that the real issue is not that he's done anything to break any rules, but that he has proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's helped form the early church, known to the Jews as the Nazarene sect, known to many Christians as the way, as Paul describes it here. And when he describes my people in verse 17, <clears throat> he's talking particularly about the church that's in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area. And he said that his motivation to come to Jerusalem was to bring financial gifts because poverty was a real problem. There were some economic problems for the church at the time, which might have been related to persecution, or they might have been related to food shortages. We don't know exactly. But Luke has told us the story in considerable detail in earlier chapters of Paul making great efforts to gather a large collection of money from the new churches in places like Corinth and in places like Thessalonica and in, in the Greek churches and in other places in Asia. And he has made great effort to bring that money to Jerusalem. He's got lots of people with him to protect the coinage as they travel to Jerusalem. And he wanted to bring a blessing and a gift to the church in Jerusalem because they were struggling at the time. So his reason for coming to Jerusalem is nothing to do with causing controversy for the Jews. It's to help the church. And then whilst in Jerusalem, he said he was going to present offerings, show his respect to the Jewish temple. That's his motivation for coming into the city. And so Paul defends himself very vigorously. 
And he basically points out that there isn't eyewitness testimony or any substantial evidence against him. They have misrepresented him fundamentally concerning going into the temple. He didn't want to do anything against the temple. In fact, we're told earlier on that he's going with a number of men into the temple to fulfill a Jewish religious ceremonial tradition. And he was advised to do that by the church leaders in Jerusalem when he arrived there. So it's a tense situation before Governor Felix. What's he going to do? Roman authorities characteristically were in a very difficult position. They didn't like being presented with these conflicts amongst the Jews. And Governor Felix is going to hesitate in the same way that Pontius Pilate hesitated when the Sanhedrin brought the accusations against Jesus. And when he interrogated Jesus, he couldn't see that he was any real threat to Rome whatsoever. And he hesitated and he hesitated, but eventually gave in and committed Jesus to crucifixion. Well, Governor Felix has to make a decision here. And we'll find out what he does in our final passage, verses 22 to 27. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias the commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but gave him some freedom and permitted his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, Oh, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favour to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Now what you see here are the actions of a man who is hesitating. You notice what he does is he adjourns the proceedings. He doesn't bring an answer. He delays things. I'll wait for the commander to come up from Jerusalem. Now this was difficult for the Jewish delegation because how long were they going to stay in Caesarea? And so probably they left. Felix didn't want to decide one way or the other. He hesitated. He deferred the decision and allowed Paul freedom so that his friends could come and take care of his needs. Now it's interesting here that Felix is described in verse 22 as someone who was well acquainted with the way. He knew about the church. Why did he know about the church? Interesting. First of all, his wife, Drusilla, was Jewish. So she may have given him some information. Secondly, there would have been other conflicts between the religious authorities and Christian churches in the country which he would have heard about. Thirdly, in Caesarea, 
there was a church. We know about this from earlier accounts. We know that the first convert in Caesarea was actually a Roman centurion, Cornelius, in the very city where he is now. Was Cornelius still around at this time? We don't know. A few years had passed. But we know that his whole household was saved. But even more significantly, we also know that one of the most gifted evangelists of the early church, Philip, who we saw in action in Samaria with the Ethiopian eunuch and then preaching in the cities along the coastal um, area of Israel. Uh, we know that and Philip ended up living in Caesarea. And Paul met Philip not so long ago while heading down to Jerusalem, stayed in his house with his family, including his four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And so Philip is in the city, one of the most gifted evangelists of the early church as far as we know. So it's likely there's a vibrant church in that very city. And the governor would surely know about it. And probably members of the Roman establishment there had converted to Christianity just like Cornelius had. The same thing happened to the Herod family and their households in the times of the Gospels. We noticed some members of their household convert to Christianity. Probably the same thing was happening here. So he knew about the Gospel. He was well acquainted. He had probably met Christians. He may have well have met Philip the Evangelist, who lived literally a few hundred meters away somewhere in what is a relatively small city of Caesarea. He was well acquainted. He adjourns the trial. But interestingly enough, he starts talking to Paul privately, calls him in from time to time. Let's have another chat, Paul. Tell us a bit more about your thinking. He wanted to find out more. Something was going on in Felix because he didn't have to take any attention to Paul, but he obviously did. And this tells us something interesting about this man. And so our story comes to an end with a rather difficult statement. Paul is in prison for two years while Felix is hesitating and not making a decision. In truth, he shouldn't have been in prison for those two years. He was a Roman citizen. He hadn't been formally charged by the Roman authorities. No evidence had been presented by the Jews to support the case that was brought by Tertullus in the hearing that we just heard about. We don't see any reference to any significant evidence. So why was he in prison at all? This was a political act, not a legal act. It wasn't correct legally, and Paul knew that. And he was going to fight against this um, unfair imprisonment in it, just a little further uh, along in time by actually calling upon his right to be tried in a different court, which is in Rome itself, because he was a Roman citizen. But we'll find out more about that a little bit later on. But these two years passed, two difficult years. And here are my reflections as we come to the end of this episode and think, what can we learn from here? First of all, although Paul was in prison, 
he had many friends and they had access to him. So this is a common situation in the modern church where Christian leaders are detained and imprisoned or exiled, put under house arrest, a variety of different things. One crucial thing at that point is what support can they receive? And sometimes they can receive very little support apart from prayer. But by God's grace, many people in confinement are supported by the church. And this is a really good example because we notice that, he, that uh, his friends could take care of his needs in verse 23. So they did have access to Paul. We should never underestimate the significance of helping prisoners. Prisoners for the gospel. And who would his friends have been? Well, the church in Caesarea that I've just described to you would be an obvious example. But the people he travelled with, uh, like Luke, were others. Luke is still in the country as far as we can tell. He's still an eyewitness of what's going on. He's not in prison. So Luke would be coming and going, as would be some of his other friends who travelled with him, maybe some of his friends from Jerusalem. They were helping him. They were taking care of his needs. And this very often meant providing supplementary food, as is so often the case in modern prisons in developing countries today. The food is insufficient and extra nutrition is always appreciated. And so Paul's friends helped him. And we can support prisoners today, if that's a relevant issue in our country or in the church network we're in, by prayer if we can't do anything else. But if we have any access to them, never underestimate the significance of it. It was a great morale booster for Paul because he was an activist. He was always on the move. And to be two years not being able to do anything was a massive constraint for him. But let's think secondly, by way of reflection, about Felix. Here's a very troubled unbeliever. He really is a troubled man, Felix, as far as we can tell, because he knew about the gospel he knew Christians, he was interested, he was intrigued by the gospel. Otherwise, he wouldn't have taken Paul out of his cell regularly and said, let's, let's talk further. He wouldn't have done that, he wouldn't have had any reason to do it, but he did it regularly because he wanted to find out more. And yet, he was unwilling to believe because Paul spoke more and more clearly to him about faith in Jesus Christ, verse 24. He talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, verse 25. He was very specific about Christianity, the need for putting faith in Jesus, the risk of, of divine judgment at the end of our lives. And Felix was very uncomfortable with this. And one of the reasons he was uncomfortable was that he was motivated by money. You'll notice here that he was hoping <coughs> that Paul and his friends would bribe him. This was common, of course, as it is today in many parts of the world, for people to, uh, uh, to be released from prison or some legal punishment because of corruption, because of bribery, because of the payment of some official. And Felix was hoping for that payment and a big payment because Paul was an important person. But it never happened. Notice that Paul didn't for a moment encourage his friends to bribe the authorities. 
and so he delayed a legal decision. He was literally sitting on the fence, spiritually. And that may be the situation of some of the people listening to this episode, and I really encourage you, if that's the case, if you're looking in at Christianity, to make that full decision to follow Jesus Christ and not sit in the incredibly uncomfortable position that Felix was in. And Paul was a faithful witness, even in prison. Well, how's this story going to end? How's he going to get out of prison and what's going to happen next? That is what we're going to find out in our next episode and I hope you'll join us for it. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.